I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Welcome, really is great to see you. Uh, We're in such a a great season as a church, wonderful to be recently launching our first Saturday night celebration in Kingsgate, London. Great to be going into a new season with these wonderful new Alpha courses, new term in Cambridge and Leicester. And I just want to start by saying that if you're new to Kingsgate, maybe it's your first time Maybe you don't really understand what being a Christian is all about. You're especially welcome today and trust you're enjoying the service and that you'll go on a journey of finding Christ for yourself. We want to go into this new season by looking at this series together, Transformed Living. And before we start, I just want to ask you a question. Who is the person that you can think of in public life, could be a world leader, statesman, celebrity, who you most admire. Have a think about it. Who's the statesman, the world leader that you most admire? Well, here's my favorite. She's an amazing woman. She's our Queen Elizabeth II, now 90 years of age. She's had 12 prime ministers throughout her reign. And not only is she now the longest reigning British monarch ever, she's also the longest reigning female world statesman in history. Fantastic. But do you know what blesses me even more than her longevity is her integrity. Here's a woman who, humanly speaking, has done an amazing job to keep on track And as I look at her life, there are a couple of things that strike me. One is, of course, I celebrate the fact that undergirding everything else is she's a Christian who knows that ultimately everything she's been given comes from God. But I think there's something about the fact that she is secure and fully has grasped that she's been called to be queen has been key to her living out that responsibility so faithfully. She kind of knows who she is and what she's called to, and then carries that out with incredible grace and gravitas. And as I look at um, this series, Transform Living, and to us as Christians, I, I realize that probably hardly any one of us naturally have royal blood. We weren't born into royalty. But the amazing truth that we see throughout the New Testament, and particularly here in this wonderful letter of Paul to the Ephesians, is that to be a Christian means that you weren't born royalty, but when you accept Christ, you are born again, and you become a member of God's heavenly royal family. You become, by being a child of God, a royal son or a royal daughter. That's wonderful. In a moment, we're going to look at that again. But the heart of this series is highlighting the fact that when we know who we are and what God's called us to be, there's a responsibility for us to 
live that out and to live worthy of our high calling. And we could summarize that in the first verse of the second half of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1. And it kind of is going to set up the rest of the chapters in Ephesians, and it's kind of like a set-up verse for the rest of the series. Uh, let me read it to you. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And this verse is like it's the hinge on which the rest of the letter turns. And it's a way of looking back to the first half of Ephesians, to looking at the great calling, our calling to be royal sons and daughters. And then it turns the corner <clears throat> and turns us to look to the rest of the, the, the letter where we look at what does it mean to live worthy of that high calling. And to set the series up, I just want to do two simple things. I want to give you something to remember, and then I want to give you a challenge and a call to go on a new journey of transformation. Firstly, I believe it's pivotal that as we start this series, and I'm talking here primarily to Christians, remember that in Christ, you are royalty. Remember that in Christ, you are royalty. Now, that's a huge statement. Two years ago, we did a study on Ephesians 1 to 3. We called it the transformed life. And for those of you who are around and remember, we looked at three of life's big questions. We looked at the who am I, the identity question. We looked at the where do I fit, the belonging question. And we looked at the what am I living for, the purpose question. And two years on, <clears throat> I'm convinced these three questions are still as huge today as they were then. I was talking a few months ago in a meeting, and our young adults and students pastor in Peterborough, Nathan Ferris, was talking about how most people post stuff on social media, not because of the content, they post something because you want them to like what they're posting. And I thought, wow, behind that, there's a whole story of what people are trying to get in terms of people's affirmation. It, it, it highlights to me a deep sense of inferiority and insecurity. Now, it's not that therefore we post stuff on social media that's horrible because we don't want people to like what we're saying, but I thought there's something there, this issue of identity. It's critical for the queen. She has a sense of identity. And I believe God wants us as Christians to remember who we are in Christ. And then there's the belonging question. <clears throat> when I was recently, <clears throat> excuse me, talking at Kingsgate London, um, I, I came across some research that said that London has been dubbed the loneliness capital of Europe. 83% of 16 to 34 year olds living in London either occasionally or all the time suffer from loneliness. That is shocking. So there's this sense of where do I belong? Where do I fit? And then the purpose question, what am I living for? In all our modern <clears throat> blessings and comforts and technological age, I believe this issue of purpose is still something that is critical that we all know, what am I living for? And then in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul gives the answer. He gives the answer to all these life questions. He says, you won't find your true identity. You won't find how you really fit. You won't really find your purpose until you 
become a Christian, he puts it this way in Ephesians 1 verse 11 in the message translation. He says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Something happens when you become a Christian. You, you are called in Christ and your whole identity changes. Let, let me illustrate, simple little illustration here. If this, if I can just find it, this little person here represents you and I and this Bible represents Jesus Christ. Now before we were Christians, and if you're not yet a Christian, the Bible says you're outside of Christ. That's a vulnerable place to be. You know, things can happen in life, can't you? We can get a bit kind of messed up and, and you know, people can spit on us and we can have damage in our lives and you get the picture? Yes. Stuff happens. And there's a reason why stuff happens and there's a reason why we struggle with identity, belonging, and purpose. Not just because of what people do to us, it's something about the condition and the state that we're in outside of Christ. In Ephesians 2, if you want to check back there, it says that basically there's a problem called sin and we're like dead spiritually. Also highlights that we're enslaved to our own weakness and selfishness. We're enslaved to a culture that pulls us in the wrong way. We're we can be enslaved to evil forces. We're cut off from God's best plan for our lives. That's the bad news. How many want some good news? The good news is God had a plan. And his plan concerned his son, the son of God, Jesus Christ, coming from heaven to earth, being born as a real man, a real human being, allowing himself to suffer and die on the cross to pay the price and to deal with everything that was gone wrong with us. He took it upon himself. <clears throat> he rose from the dead. And now in Ephesians we see he's not just alive, he is alive, but he is now ruling and reigning far above every king, every queen, every world leader, every force, natural or spiritual, Jesus Christ is Lord and head and king over the universe. He's triumphant. That's amazing. But what's even more amazing is that God's plan concerned us becoming in Christ. When you became a Christian, God says, I'm not just going to patch you up. I'm not just going to give you a few rules to get along with life a bit better. No, no, I've got to do something more fundamental. I'm not even just going to forgive you and leave you the same as you are. I've got to do something more radical than that. I'm going to make you a new creation, a new person, and I'm going to basically take your sin that I put on Jesus, I'm going to take it away from you, and I'm going to give you Everything that is of his royal identity now becomes yours. Because from now on, Christian, you are going to be hidden in Christ. You were dead in your sins. Jesus died for your sins. Now you're alive in Christ. You were low. Some of you felt like you were pressed down. You were like on the bottom. But Jesus, because he's been raised to the top, you now are in him. You are in a position of authority. 
servant authority and God has called you to have a destiny and a purpose to make a difference. You're a royal son. You're a royal daughter in Christ. It's absolutely marvelous. Now, some of you may never have heard that before. Some of you look at me thinking, what is that guy on? But this is the truth. But many of us, we know this, but we need to remember who we are. And so what I've done just to try and kind of help us grasp this, I've just literally gone through Ephesians 1 and 2, and I could have gone all over the New Testament. I've just selected, because there's so much on this, a few things that describe what it means for us to be in Christ. And I'm going to read it out in the first person, and wherever you're gathered, feel free just to sort of say these along with me. Let's declare together. In Christ, I have a new identity. In Christ, I have grace and peace. In Christ, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, I've been chosen and planned for. In Christ, I am God's child. In Christ, I'm highly favored. In Christ, I am redeemed and forgiven. In Christ, I have a great hope. In Christ, I am sealed with the Spirit. In Christ, I have a sure future. In Christ, I am greatly loved. In Christ, I have come alive. In Christ, I am seated in heavenly places. In Christ, I am God's workmanship. And in Christ, I am a new creation. Praise God, isn't that wonderful? Good to be reminded of these things. Good to know these things. Important that we know at this sense of identity and purpose. But wonderful as that is, we can't, we can't just leave it there. Because so far, I've talked primarily to us as individuals. And all of this is true if you are a Christian. Because God's plan and God's passion, reflected by Paul when he wrote the book of Ephesians, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wasn't just about God choosing and God planning for and God redeeming and God including individuals. Can I put it like this? He didn't just come for you as a son or you as a daughter. God's plan was even greater than that. Because one of the problems of our sin and our selfishness, what we call the four, was fragmentation and dislocation and loneliness and brokenness. And God said, no, no, my high agenda is I'm coming for individual sons and daughters and I want to bring them together. Previously irreconcilable people, I'm going to join them together to be part of a unified wonderfully glorified family of God. And you say, where do I belong? If you're a Christian, you belong to the family of God. You belong to the people of God. You are part of God's temple. You are part of this new glorious race that God wants to demonstrate something about the beauty of what it means to be part of his heavenly family. And that's the foundation. It's a foundation we'll need to remember as we go through the rest of the series. That we have a new identity in Christ. We have a new purpose in Christ. And we have a new place of belonging as the family of God. I don't know about you. 
I need to be reminded of these things. I wonder how many of us have knew that but have forgotten about it. The problem is when we forget is we then start losing the plot. We start, because we forget who we are and what we're called to, we start living wrong. We start retreating from what God has for us. A little bit like Simba in The Lion King. Where he was the son of the king, but he began to forget who he really was. And it messed up how we began to live. Please watch this little clip. Now, can I just uh, reassure you, we don't believe in the full theology of the Lion King. (laughs) We don't believe in the circle of life, we believe in a transformed life. We're not into monkey witch doctors, we're into the Holy Spirit, amen? (laughs) Some of you are highly relieved, say... But what I do love about that clip and the, the reason I showed it is it just so aptly summarizes the fact that we can forget who we are. We need to be reminded. Remember who you are. <laughs> Dave, remember who you are. Janice, remember who you are. Mike, remember who you are. Remember, Christian, who you are. You are a royal son. You are a royal daughter. You've been born again. You're a new creation. You're God's workmanship. You're alive in Christ. You've been seated with him in heavenly places. We need to remember these things. And this is the foundation for the rest of the series. If you like, we have to have internalized the truths of Ephesians 1 and so, uh, 1 to 3. And so if it's a while since you've heard this teaching or you never have, can I encourage you, maybe even this week, as you read the introduction to the, 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 the transformed living, but why not go back and read Ephesians 1 to 3? Take the notes that we've given you. Put that list on, on your fridge. Declare that over yourself. Remember who you are. That's the first thing. Remember that in Christ, you're royalty. But of course, Ephesians doesn't stop with chapter 3. Paul doesn't stop there. And God doesn't stop there. There's a second truth, and this is really what we're going to be focusing on and unpacking for now the rest of the series, which is this. Live worthy of that high calling. You have a high calling, Paul says. Live worthy. Say live worthy. Live worthy. worthy. Summarized again, let me read one more time this pivotal verse, verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. I therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I love that little word, therefore. He's in effect saying, in the light of what God has done for you. See, religion just says, be better. Try harder. True Christianity says, Look what God has done for you. Look who he's made you to be. And then, in the light of that, therefore, by the power of his spirit, now live up to the glory of your new identity and destiny. And again, if we look back at the queen, I think 
She's been an outstanding example of somebody who's not just grasped, if you like, the privileges of royalty, but carried out the responsibilities of royalty. Would you agree with me? With great dignity, with great grace, and with an attitude that's remarkable, a determination, hard work, and an understanding that her privilege is something that she's to use in the service of God and in the service of others. My main subject at school and university was history, and I've done enough history to know that, sadly, throughout history, being royal doesn't guarantee appropriately royal behavior. Yeah? Having power doesn't mean you're going to use that power appropriately. And if we look closer to home, the queen herself, I know, has had many moments and of anguish when some of her own family even haven't fully lived out the high calling of royalty. And I'm certainly not here to criticize because we're talking about human beings here, but when we talk about us as Christians, the application is this. Number one, you must know who you are. You must remember who you are. You need to know your identity, belonging, and purpose. But even that doesn't guarantee that you will live royal. It takes a choice. It takes a decision. It takes an effort to live the rest of your Christian life the way God has called you to. And what we're going to do over these next few weeks is we're going to unpack some of what it looks like to live worthy. Can I say if it was automatic that Christians lived the life, Paul would have finished Ephesians at the end of chapter 3. But he doesn't. He goes on and he gives us practical teaching. How many think you can, um, you could benefit from some practical teaching at how to do a better job being a Christian? And what we have here in Ephesians 4 to 6, wonderfully practical teaching on issues of how we're to get along together as the people of God, how we're to use our gifts in his service together, how we're to live pure lives, what we're to do, um, how, how we're to deal with our attitudes, how, how we're to handle our sexuality, how we're to live together if we're married or if we've got children or if we're at work. Wonderful practical teaching. And I want us to receive this and these teachings, not in the spirit of, we're naughty school children and there's a headmaster telling us what to do. No, no. This is a loving father, a good, good father who wants the best for you to live up to the high calling. It's like God is calling out destiny from you. It's not you must do better. It's you can do better than that. Different. It's a father encouraging us to live the life that he's called us to. And if we look at the way Paul introduces this section, I want to just emphasize something of the, the weightiness with which and the passion with which he wants to address this group of Christians who are living in uh, and around the great ancient city of Ephesus. Many of them would be fairly recently become Christians. And they've been called out of a culture that was anti-God and living very different 
and opposite to the ways of Christ. And so he says, look at what God's done you. He's rescued you. He's set you free. He set you high above all this occult stuff and you're free. But now don't be casual. Don't be complacent. You've got to make a decision now. It takes a choice to live differently. And, and there's a number of things just in this one verse that we can see his urgency. Number one, he describes himself as a prisoner for the Lord. What authority has Paul got to speak to us? Well, he's an apostle who had an encounter and revelation with the risen Christ. But he's also somebody now who's given his whole life in response to the grace that he's seen in his own life. Remember, Paul used to be a persecutor of the church. He has the encounter on the road to Damascus. And now he's so determined that the church will live up to high calling that he's even been prepared to go through persecution and spending time in prison. And he's actually writing this letter from prison. And there's a lovely little, lovely little kind of double entendre here where Paul is not just talking about being a physical prisoner. He's saying, I've chosen to make myself captive to Christ and to serve his cause. That's the first thing. He's a prisoner for the Lord. Second notice how he refers to Jesus here as Lord. Now in the first part of Ephesians, where the primary theme is about God's wonderful plan for salvation, the number one word that Paul uses to describe Jesus is the word you've heard me refer to many times already today. It's the word Christ, in Christ, you in Christ. Do you know what the word Christ means? It's the, it's the word Messiah, it's the anointed one. It literally talking about an anointed rescuer or deliverer. Why? Because God wants and Paul wanted to highlight the wonder of what it means for us to be rescued. Aren't you glad that you have a savior, you have a rescuer in Jesus Christ? Isn't that wonderful? But notice here, he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner in Christ, although he is. He says, I'm a prisoner in the Lord. And this word Lord, he actually uses 26 times in the book of Ephesians. Six of them are in the first half, but a further 20 references to Lord are in this second half of Ephesians. It tells us that we're turning a corner. It tells us that we, we focused on who we are and our identity and what God's done for us. But now Paul's saying, I don't just want you to know Jesus as the Christ, the Savior, I want you to understand him too as Lord. We've had a couple of speakers in the, in the last while, I think it was first Pastor Agu and then Phil Pringle, both saying this. It's so important as Christians that we don't just know Jesus as Savior, but we also know him as Lord. And I want to say to the whole of Kingsgate, Let's celebrate Jesus as our rescuer and our savior, but let's make sure that we press on into the reality of the fact if he's our savior, he needs to be Lord, and he needs to be Lord of every area. Of every area of our lives. Including the bits that he's not yet Lord of. It's a call to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord. And then notice thirdly, 
He's a prisoner. He's a prisoner in the Lord. And then thirdly, notice the language he used. He says, I urge you. Do you think Paul's half-hearted about this? Be nice if you did it. No, there's passion, there's intensity. I believe there's intensity from the way the Lord wants to communicate to us. I urge you, church. Don't live below your high calling. Years ago, when I first became a Christian, there was a, a phrase that went around Christian circles that, that went like this. All you need to do is let go and let God. It sounded kind of attractive at the time, didn't it? There was a Christian version of chill out. Just chill. I believe if the Apostle Paul was here, he'd say, no, not let go and let God, but I urge you. And then he uses the word, I urge you to walk worthy. And the idea of the work, of walk is the idea it's a journey. We make progress. How many of you have arrived yet? How many prepared to go on a journey where you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal areas and to help you and strengthen you so that you break through and live the life that God has called you to? Are you up for that? Not let go and let God, but I urge you to live worthy of the high calling. And how are we going to do that? Well, I just want to simply illustrate that I think we've got amazing opportunity in this next couple of months to access the Word of God and allow Him to speak to us in a way that's different than a normal season. So let me illustrate with the digits on my hand. Imagine these five digits represent five ways that we can get a grip on God's purpose for our lives. How many want to get a full grip on what God has for you? These are the five ways. Number one, index finger, Sunday teaching. Come every Sunday throughout this series, if at all possible, and get the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to point areas of your life where He wants to help you and change you. Yeah? Secondly, longer reach, middle finger, Get into the Word daily. Get the Transform Living books. If you're also into your own devotional pattern, keep going with that if at all possible. But find time. It'll only take you maybe 10, 15 minutes to prayerfully, carefully go through the studies, ask God to speak to you, reflect and respond, and allow the Word to go deeper. Say deeper. Think we'll get more out of it if we do that? And then number four, the ring finger. I want to illustrate this to say that this is the relational finger. This is to say that if we want to get a grip on God's plan for our lives, we need other people to help us. Do you know the thing about a blind spot? You can't see it. And there's something about when we come together with others and sometimes even when we do see something, we think, oh God, I need help. There's something about others helping us on the journey. So please, can I encourage you, whatever Kingsgate location you're in, take this, the opportunity, get in a group this season. Let's learn together in life group community and watch what God's gonna do. Little finger gives us balance. For those of us who are up for it, we're going to learn 
once a week, a memory verse. Why does that get the least response on all the four? So you think, I can't memorize a scripture. You can. You can do so by taking a word at a time, a phrase at a time. And you say, why does it matter? It matters because Jesus clearly, as a man, spent time memorizing scripture. When the devil came to him to tempt him and to knock him off course, he, he didn't will the devil away. He spoke the word of God that he'd got in his mind and meditate on his heart. That's the way you overcome. So we want to give you the opportunity to learn seven verses at the given time the Holy Spirit's going to use. And then finally, the most important digit of all is the thumb because this represents life application. The goal of this series is not more information, it's revelation leading to transformation. So as you come on Sunday, think, how does this apply to my life? Think about it right now. What does God want me to do? Secondly, as you get into the daily devotion, don't just skim read it. What does God want me to do? As you get into groups, think, God, what, what, how do you want me to break through? And then as you learn the verses, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you because the goal is transformation. Many great stories of transformation that we've had over the years. And I was just thinking about this and it came to mind... Uh, a particular testimony that some of you have seen, we've actually played out a couple of times, but it just so summarized for me what we're believing God to do in our lives, but also in the context as we journey together with others. Please watch this testimony. Hi, I'm Emma. Um, I was brought up in a Christian home surrounded by an amazing, loving family. Uh, but when I was a teenager, um, I stopped going to church. I stopped being interested. Um, it didn't feel relevant. And actually, I found things that felt so much more exciting, like um, relationships, going out, getting a job, earning money. And God didn't feature at all. But then I moved to Peterborough and one day I woke up and decided actually I want to go to church again. So I'd heard of Kingsgate, I'd seen it on the telly, um, so I thought I'll try there. So um, I turned up and I was overwhelmed, I could feel God's presence and over a few weeks I gave my life to God. Um, I knew that God was real and I knew what Jesus had done for me, which was great, but I continued to live my, my old life um, and come along on a Sunday. But that all changed when um, I got involved with a life group. I met so many amazing people who, who changed everything. I could see in them what I wanted to be. And, and I knew I had to change my life. I could see people who cared, who loved the Bible, who loved the Spirit, who loved God. And actually, I wanted to to change my life, to, to live the way that I knew I should be living. Uh, and I've made that change now, and I feel so much more free. I feel like I have a purpose, and I'm just really excited for the future. One great story. Imagine if every single one of us said, I'm going to take seriously this call to live worthy. I'm going to get a grip on God's destiny for my life. Think what God could do. As I was praying and worshipping this morning, I sensed faith rising in me. 
that we could see in the next two months more transformation and breakthrough than we've seen in the rest of 2016 put together. If we'll get a grip of what God has for us. And I believe there's going to be reconciliation and restoration of marriages and family relationships and siblings and people coming back to Christ. And there's going to be spin-off blessings because we, when we put God first, we put his will first in our lives and say, God, do a deeper work in me. Guess what? God can bless other areas of our lives. He can bless our health and our finances and our workplace. How many you up for a season when the God who's in us is going to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think or imagine according to his power that's within us? Amen? Let's thank God for what he's going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.